Hi, this is Chris Campbell, and welcome to the Food Institute podcast. Today, we will be speaking with Carol Pliska, an independent consultant and veteran of the global juice market regarding the state of that market in the U.S. and across the globe as COVID-19 has upended traditional norms. But first, whether you are a first-time listener or becoming something of a regular, we ask that you share this episode on your social media platforms and with your friends. It really helps us expand our reach, and we really appreciate that you do that. So with that said, I'll introduce Carol and start off by asking how she's doing today. Hey, Chris, how are you today? I'm doing well, sitting at home, uh, pretty much like everybody else is at this point in time, but uh, still continuing on with business as normal. I'm glad to hear it. I'm doing well myself. Um, and for our listeners, could you provide a little bit of background on yourself so they get a better idea of who you are and what you do? Yeah, basically, you know, I've spent 40 years within the procurement world. Um, the first 20 were within the ice cream industry. The last 20 were in the juice industry. Um, in December of 2018, I retired, and at that point, I decided to kind of reinvent myself uh, as a consultant to the uh, industry for whatever uh, need there might possibly be. So I would think that makes you a great candidate to speak about the topic today, which is the current state of the juice market. And I wanted to ask, could you give us maybe an overview of the state of pricing for both fruit and vegetable juice uh, markets in the pandemic era? Yeah, for the most part, at this point, pricing is pretty much flat, although there are some spikes like we've seen with orange futures. Because of the pandemic, consumers are focusing on beverages and foods that provide immunity support. Orange juice, because of its vitamin C content, has always been the go-to juice when people have colds or flus. So retail sales have skyrocketed. Orange concentrate is the only juice that is futures traded. Not from concentrate orange is not futures traded. It's sold basis the fruit price. Prior to the pandemic, FCOJ futures were trading at their lowest levels since 2009. And the industry as a whole was struggling to grow their market share. On March 16th, which many consider to be the start of the U.S. lockdowns, futures ranged from 98.9 to 107.25. Today, futures opened between 125.25 and 128.8. This has brought new life back to the orange juice industry. Of course, the question everyone would like to answer is, will this trading level continue in the foreseeable future. Opinion so far has indicated futures will hold at these levels for the next four to five months. Brazil's forecast for next crop is down significantly from previous crop final number. 288 million boxes down from 387. But the Brazil FCOJ inventory levels are at their highest they've been since 2015. And that is only inventory that's in Brazil. It doesn't include what processors have stored here in the US or in the EU. The first Florida forecast won't be published until October. As for other crops, we're just starting on the Northern Hemisphere crop cycle. So we may see some price increases due to short crops. For example, um, early indications point to a short Marion blackberry crop. 
So competition will be strong between the fresh market and processed fruit market. Same is true for apricots and cherries. Blueberries, on the other hand, have larger volumes and consumption has not kept pace with the larger volumes, so lower prices are expected. So we spoke a little bit about some of the juices uh, on the fruit side there, but regarding the vegetable juice market, is there any kind of appreciable difference between the fruit and vegetable juice markets in the current moment? You know, it's a good question, Chris. There really is no appreciable difference. However, there is a commonality that's shared by both. Fruits and vegetables are grown for the fresh market. Juice processors, whether fruit or vegetable, have to compete with the fresh market for fruits and vegetables. If a crop is short, the price normally goes up unless there's no demand from the fresh market. The juice processor must buy at the higher price and then pass that cost to their customer. Their customer then passes the cost to the final end user, who is the consumer in a retail environment. This explains why you will see juice price fluctuations. A savvy commodity buyer for the commercial industry will follow the fresh market even if they are buying juices. So I know you spoke about the retail end user in that uh, response there, and I was going to ask, have you seen any sort of consumption trends changing in the past couple of years and maybe a trend that's accelerated or changed due to the COVID-19 pandemic? Yeah, definitely. Consumers have been influenced by studies published regarding the sugar levels in fruit juice that are on par with sugar levels in carbonated beverages. This has definitely shifted consumption from fruit juice concentrates to a not from concentrate, NFC, infused waters, teas, and fruit vegetable blends. Less processed juices have gained significantly over the past few years, especially HPP and cold-pressed juices. These are non-thermal alternatives to heat pasteurization and preserves more nutrients, enzymes, and flavors. The downside to a less processed juice is shorter shelf life, so pandemic pantry loading is not possible. So definitely pandemic pantry loading is something we've seen across other commodities. And, you know, I think it's probably a little bit self-evident that it's much harder to do that with a fresh juice or a fresh vegetable juice. But going on to the popularity of juices, what juices are you finding are the most popular among consumers and why? Basically, any juice that has an added benefit, uh, just to name a few, and there are several out there, but orange juice for the vitamin C, as I mentioned before, cranberry juice for flavonoids, carrot juice for beta carotene, tomato juice for lycopene. So it seems that these are also uh, in line with trends that we've seen here at the Food Institute, that juice companies are pivoting to value-added products. So is this still an avenue companies can turn to in order to promote growth, or is this more of a status quo, you need to be in this space to be making any money in the industry at all? This is an essential avenue for companies to pursue. Consumers want a functional benefit to make them feel good about drinking a juice. So what are the value-added claims that are the most popular and most successful across fruit and vegetable juices? The two biggest ones are non-GMO and organic. 
Non-GMO is pretty straightforward when it comes to 100% fruit and vegetable juice. Organic requires a long-term commitment because it's a three-year process to convert a field from conventional to organic. The growers need assurance that organic demand is sustainable before they proceed to switch from conventional to organic. As to actual claims, they can be a bit troublesome for companies if, it's, if they're included on their label. If you call out a health claim that cannot be substantiated, you open yourself up to litigation. Sometimes it's better to let the consumer judge the benefit using popular opinion. It might not be backed by scientific evidence, but consumer perception is often all the reality they need. I'm also seeing an increased interest in carbon footprint, ethically sourced, environmentally friendly. Basically, if there is some kind of a feel-good story that marketing can use in their sell sheets or their advertising reaches the consumer to a certain level that the perception becomes reality. And I would say that's probably a trend that's, you know, universal across food products right now is that uh, carbon footprint, ethically sourced and environmentally friendly are all, um, you know, important topics to consumers. And they may have gone onto the back burner because of COVID-19. But I would agree. And I think you probably would, too, that these claims will remain important. And I would think become more in focus as, uh, you know, the year goes on and people start adapting to this, you know, I don't want to say post-pandemic because we're still in it, but this pandemic lifestyle and, you know, adjusting to the new normal there. Uh, regarding, you know, adjusting, what can juice companies do to reinvent themselves in this era where people are stockpiling goods in case of future disasters? You know, Chris, you know, they really don't necessarily need to reinvent themselves. They just need to innovate their shelf-stable juices to add more functional ingredients. Because again, the consumer wants a juice with added value. And when I speak to shelf-stable juices, this is outside of the refrigerated section. So this is gonna be that aisle that you walk down in the grocery store that's lined with juices of various kinds. Um, that's, you know, when it comes to, you know, pantry loading because of the pandemic and everything, refrigerated, you can only load up so much, but the shelf stable that you see in the grocery aisle, that you do have an opportunity to somewhat pantry load. So consider adding, you know, jicama, yuzu, cape gooseberry, soursop, elderberry, mangosteen, prickly pear, to your traditional orange, apple, grape, cranberry, lemon. Blends with fruit and vegetable will help lower the sugar load of a straight fruit juice and provides added benefits. Juice companies need basically a think tank that includes marketing, sales, procurement, technical and regulatory. Then as a team, what they should do is build a library of potential blends with various wellness slash immunity benefits that can be ramped up quickly to hit retail shelves as needed. 
I'd like to switch gears a little bit here and kind of focus more on the pandemic aspect that we were speaking about a little bit earlier. Um, so obviously, COVID-19 is difficult to predict. But what effect do you see it having on the marketplace for juices in the next six months to a year? Well, Chris, the marketplace basically has two very distinct channels, retail and food service. Retail juice sales will continue to be strong because COVID-19 is not going to disappear in the next six months. In fact, within just the last few days, there have been several reports of localized spikes in cases. So consumers will continue to seek out juices that boost immunity. Food service, on the other hand, is a channel that has been devastated and will continue as such through the end of the year. Food service includes restaurants from quick serve to sit down, schools, cruise ships, hotels, bars, and other institutional environments. We've seen an up and down trend on reopening restaurants depending on states within the US as well as globally. Major cruise lines will not sail until at least September and could get postponed again. Schools are trying to decide how to safely open and whether food and beverage will be served as usual. Although retail juice sales are up, it does not compensate for the loss of food service juice sales. The food service sector has been hit especially hard with furloughs, closures, and bankruptcy filings. So the food service dynamic is definitely something we've been following daily in our Today in Food newsletter and also in the Food Institute report. Um, you know, it's definitely something that's a major challenge. And I think another thing that we're seeing a challenge on is the growing aspect. I saw a Wall Street Journal report this week explaining how COVID-19 was hitting uh, new crop efforts in Washington state for apples and cherries, especially hard. So I was wondering if you have any insight into how the pandemic and COVID-19 specifically might affect new crop activities in 2020 and how that will affect the overall juice market in the months to come. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Chris. I mean, Northern hemisphere crops are just at the start of their cycle, depending upon the variety. So there have been reports out of Washington state, as well as some reports out of California. Some of the uh, some of the crops are early, some are later. As I previously mentioned, juice processors have to compete with the fresh market. For the most part, juice processors manufacture to contracted volumes. It's not often that they're going to run juice in the hopes that there will be a demand later in the year. The companies who contract with the juice processors have to forecast what their volumes will be for the coming year. Unfortunately, COVID-19 has disrupted everyone's forecasting tools and has also left many companies with excess inventory from previous contracts. We could see shortages long-term or we could see more excess inventory. There's no way to make a blanket prediction. Every company, processor, and grower must analyze their specific business and then develop a mutually sustainable continuity plan with their suppliers. If we take a step back, what can you tell us about the global juice market? Are international trade restrictions or other growing conditions challenging the market overall? You know, really, Chris, the global market is no different than the 
domestic market, we're seeing the same dilemmas globally as we are domestically. The labor pool for picking crops is extremely susceptible to any type of highly contagious virus, whether in Brazil, Poland, or Washington state. Overhead costs have gone up due to COVID-19 imposed regulations in offices, packing houses, and manufacturing facilities. The logistics issue that we saw back in February and March has eased, but there are reduced sailings and vessels aren't sailing at full capacity. So, Carol, if you were going to give a bottom line statement to someone about the juice market in 2020, what would you tell them? Bottom line, I mean, we are in an unprecedented time, but it's not all gloom and doom. The juice industry is resilient and COVID-19 challenges will make us even stronger, but we need to be relevant and quick to adapt to consumer perceptions and demand. And I think that's a great place to wrap this up. So like I said, I think it'll wrap it up for us this week on the Food Institute podcast. I'd like to thank Carol again for her time today. If you'd like, you can find her on LinkedIn. Um, Remember, if you're new to the Food Institute podcast, please follow, like, and share this episode. If you'd like to learn more about the Food Institute, please take a look at the links in our description to learn more about us and what membership could do for you and your company. So until next time, this is Chris Campbell signing off. 